E-A-B-L-E-S. Ebels. Remember that name because if you suffer from chronic joint and muscle pain like me, then Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil is your answer to your prayers. The Ebels story began with the search for something natural to help manage chronic migraines. But Ebels helps more than just migraines. From managing chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and more, Ebels is truly a game changer in the natural alternatives to big pharma drugs. And yours truly, Brian Nichols, here on The Brian Nichols Show, can indeed vouch for the quality of Ebels. Having a herniated disc in my back, coupled with years of sports injuries, I was struggling to find something, anything to help manage my pain. That is until Ebels. With the best quality product and customer service in the industry, Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil and Ebels Freeze Gel easily stand above all the competition. And right now, Ebels is offering a special discount to all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience on all orders. All you have to do is head to Ebels.com and use promo code TB. NS, the Brian Nichols Show, right? TBNS at checkout. That's it. Discount applied. Again, the code is TBNS at checkout to start managing your pain today with the highest quality CBD on the market. One more time, that is code TBNS at checkout. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At the Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Happy Friday, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Welcome back. Yes, you are in store for another phenomenal guest here. And it's a familiar guest, one that has been joining the show, I'd say, what, once a month or so? Brad Palumbo, yes, from the amazing new podcast, Breaking Boundaries, but also of uh, Fee and Washington Examiner and National Review Notoriety. Brad's been doing amazing work, rating some awesome economic pieces, and today he joins the show once again to knock it out of the park. This time we're discussing the student loan debt crisis. Oh, is it a student loan debt crisis? Brad says, oh, maybe not, but also we discuss in detail how this idea of canceling student loan debt is actually a very regressive approach to dealing uh, with the student loan debt. So with that being said, Brad Palumbo has always a fantastic conversation. So without further ado, on to the show, Brad Palumbo returning to the Brian Nichols show. Hey, thanks for having me back. Absolutely, buddy. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. I know you are, dude, you're so busy. Whenever I, I swing over to a social media and my, my newsfeed is just a never ending series of Brad Palumbo articles at Fee National Review. And I'm like, my God, when do you sleep? On top of, you're you're the host of an award-winning, I say award-winning in my book at least, podcast, Breaking Boundaries. You've had guests on from, my goodness, Rand Paul to Blair White and all those in between. Brad Palumbo, how the heck have you been? It's been a while since we had a yawn. By a while, I mean like, what, a month or so? How was Thanksgiving and such? Uh, pretty good. Kept it very small with just the immediate family. Um, I'm a huge pie person, so I was pretty excited. My sister made a bunch of pies. Um, those are pretty good. Thanksgiving is definitely like my holiday in that there's food. Mm. It's all about the food. And that that to me is more interesting than like the stress of getting people gifts. Um, so definitely my kind of holiday. All things considered pretty good. Uh, pretty excited about the podcast. Have uh, a few uh, guests that your listeners I think will be pretty interested in coming up. I have Justin Amash and Tulsi Gabbard, both uh, 
basically confirm coming up in the next month or two as guests on the show. Nice. So if people want to hear my interviews with them, Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo on uh, Apple and Spotify. Oh, for sure. And and I'm pumped, pump, man, because you've been doing great. And I love the way that you you always ask tough questions. I mean, I, you had Glenn Greenwald on the show. And uh, I know I actually I DM, DM'd you a question about how he could have his his skepticism of government, but then put so much faith when you're looking at, you know, the various ways that government does you know the social good programs, the health care, the, you know, the food mm-hmm. stamps and so on and so forth. And you know, you're like, yeah, I'm going to ask him that question on the show. And that was so refreshing because I think too often people kind of they get comfortable in their own little you know bubbles and they don't like to ask tough questions but i think that's how especially you know you're reaching out to folks like tulsi gabbard right i see her i'm gonna ask her the same thing exactly and, and you know what i think that's important because i see her as an ally in the future not necessarily an ideological ally but somebody we can at least work with because we're able to communicate with them you know what i mean right i see her as an issue area ally Right. In the sense that on civil liberties, on ending the drug war, on, you know, the surveillance state, on bringing the troops home, she is a powerful voice and issue area ally on all of those things. And the the great thing is that, you know, she and I have a good relationship and from the, the past that we have interacted. But it's like, obviously, we're not the same ideologically. And I can just ask her a question. I assume I'm sure she'll be fine with it. Um, but same with Glenn. Obviously, we're not the same ideologically, but like I can ask you a tough question without being aggressive, without being rude, without being right. hostile. Uh, and so what I try to do with every guest is, frankly, I'm only having people on that I, to some extent, like or I think have something interesting or valuable to say. But I do think sometimes podcasts, except, of course, the wonderful and amazing Brian Nichols show, um, can be softballs, right? Whether you just – they just – they never really – uh, and as a listener, sometimes I'm listening to a podcast and I'm like, come on, ask them about this glaring thing. Yeah. And they just don't. Uh, and I don't want it to be that. I mean, I'm not going to be grilling people. I mean, I'm obviously, but I'm going to try to include a couple tough questions for, for every guest. And of course, the toughest question of all, what their their hot food take is. I know. Rand Paul and mayonnaise, man. That caught me off guard. He didn't like mayonnaise. But I'll, I'll tell you, Brad, you know, it's funny you bring up asking the tough questions because, uh, candidly, the week here that you're you're appearing on the Brian Nichols show, I had uh, uh, Steve uh, Melink on the show, and he is the CEO of uh, Melink Incorporation. And, and what he, we discussed was his book, Fusion Capitalism. And he is much more of the, the argument that we should tax carbon in order to curtail the quote-unquote impending climate crisis. Now, I didn't go through the show as saying, okay, Steve, you are wrong here and here and here. But I was bringing up questions uh, that I think are fair questions, you know, asking about alternative forms of energy like nuclear power, looking at, okay, well, if we start to tax carbon, is it fair to say there are possible negative, you know, ramifications that could happen down the road from that affecting the the bottom line consumer, i.e. what we saw from 2008 onward. So I think that's the type of conversations that we need to have. They have to be challenging sometimes a little uncomfortable but at the same point in time i think that's how we're going to be able to grow and you know hey let's actually look to part of the reason i wanted you in the show today a place where we were supposed to be able to grow intellectually and that was college and right now that is the number one thing right it seems that people's minds are are focused on because the quote-unquote impending student uh loan crisis right 1.7 trillion dollars i think it was um Mm -hmm. ballpark of of student loan debt right now and we're seeing a push by a lot of our our friends on the left to cancel student loan debt brad you've been doing a lot of work as i i teased there at the beginning of the show specifically focusing a fee and national review on this student loan crisis so 
set the stage for us, right? What is the argument that's being presented um, by, I'd say, the, the Elizabeth Warren types, the AOC types, that these impending student loan crisis could be solved by simply canceling uh, the student loan debt? Well, they start with a true premise, and the premise is that college in modern American life is way too darn expensive. I mean, even a public university is going to be charging you twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five thousand for an in-state student. Sometimes I went to the University of Massachusetts Amherst, the flagship premier uh, public school in Massachusetts, and its whole thing is affordability. I can tell you, it still was not that affordable. Um, so they start with this truth that no one denies that cost of college is out of control. It's become outrageous. Uh, if you look at the inflation adjusted figures, it's increased many fold over the last several decades. So they're, they're not wrong there. And then they look at this big, uh, your number is actually exactly right. There's about 1.5 trillion in student loan debt held by the government and about 1.8 trillion held by private banks. Um, now, we're just talking about the $1.5 trillion that's held by the government here. The rest is kind of not really at stake. Uh, gotcha. So what, what they see is this huge amount of debt held by people who intuitively you think of as young, struggling, and poor college students, right? And they think, oh, well, it would be social justice. It would, be, it would help people. It would uplift people to just wave the magic wand and cancel it. The government can just do this. And I, I, I don't doubt their intentions per se, but it, it, one, the, the very premise is flawed. There's no such thing as cancellation. There's no such thing as forgiveness. What they mean is force the taxpayer to pay. Uh, and so when you, when you shift that burden onto the taxpayer, what you are effectively doing is redistributing $1.5 trillion in resources. And just think about the two groups that we're talking about. One is college graduates and one is average taxpayers. When you move $1.5 trillion in resources away from your average taxpayer and towards the bank accounts and debt of college graduates, well, Brian, college graduates earn a million dollars more over their lifetime. They earn 80% more on average on an annual income than non-college graduates. So the average hmm. college graduate is substantially better off than the average taxpayer. So the problem here is that these are progressive politicians pushing this. Elizabeth Warren, AOC, Chuck Schumer, they all want Joe Biden to come in and cancel student debt. They're actually talking about a bailout for the relatively more wealthy and well-off. That's not progressive at all. No, actually, to your point in your article that you wrote over on National Review, not only is it not progressive, it is actually quite regressive. Um, so let's dig into that because I know in, in that article you, you outline how – the good intentions, and I think we, we've discussed this many times before, right? It's often that we see good intentions leading and guiding these these proposals, right? The war on drugs, good intentions. The war on terror, good intentions. So right now it's the war on student debt, good intention. And it's, again, ironic because it's being proposed by very hyper-progressive folks. It is. And what I find the, the strongest argument is, is, for example, I, I just reported on a new study from the University of Chicago's economics department that shows student debt cancellation would be highly regressive. It would give $192 billion, right? That's a lot of money to the top 20% of income earners, you know, the fifth of society that earn the most. Wow. For the bottom 20%, the fifth of society that earns the least, it would give just $29 billion. So that's much, much less. It would actually make inequality worse. 
not better. And that's really not what progressive big government interventions are supposedly intended to do. But what I find the most convincing, actually, Brian, is to show them the liberal sources that find the same thing. University of Chicago is is a free market economics department, very reputable, but it's it definitely leans right. But you can actually go to the Urban Institute, a left-leaning think tank, or the Brick- Brookings Institution, another left-leaning think tank, and they have data and research that shows the same thing. Student debt forgiveness is regressive. It is not progressive. So that's why I think it is so infuriating that Democrats and progressives are pushing this policy and they're claiming the moral high ground. I say no, don't just say it's too expensive. Don't just say it's not feasible. Reclaim the moral high ground that this, the government, first off, I don't necessarily always think the progressive option is the best option at all. But I'm saying when you're having a massive government intervention, you should at the very least not want it to be skewed towards helping the wealthy and well-connected. That's cronyism. That's corporatism. That's everything that's wrong with our broken system and the establishment. So I, I think I think it's just one of the worst things at all. And and actually, you know, it's funny. They're trying to seize the moment of the COVID pandemic and say, we need to do this for stimulus. Well, actually, um, Keynesian, so kind of left-leaning, but fairly centrist economists at the, uh, oh, what is it? The Center for a Responsible Federal Budget. They did an analysis and they showed uh, the student debt cancellation is like one of the worst possible forms of stimulus, even from a progressive point of view, because it doesn't actually put cash in people's hands. It just alleviates future burdens in decades to come. So if you want to stimulate, like that's what Elizabeth Warren is saying also. She's saying we could stimulate the economy by taking this weight off people's back. But mm-hmm. it's actually a really, even from a liberal perspective, a dumb way to stimulate. So if we want to stimulate I say we waive all the entire income tax or payroll tax for all of 2021. That'll get people going. Um, but I, I, I digress. But I think you see what my general frustration is with these policies. Oh, for sure. And I guess then the the skeptical brain, and I don't know, I mean skeptical. It's my sales brain, right? I'm, I'm thinking, well, why are they promoting this? Why is this the argument? And then I think we have to do a, a kind of a flashback to um, our snapshot episode of the 2020 outcomes of the election, right? And what did we find? We found that, by and large, the Democratic Party has become the party of rich, white, college-educated, air quotes, elitist liberal. That's kind of the party now. So if you're trying to sell to your base, what's the number one issue that your base is likely experiencing if that is the stereotype of your average voter in the Democratic Party? And it's going to be, well, if they're all college educated, right? Then they probably have student loans. So this almost, I would say exclusively from a sales perspective, is trying to speak to the issues that a lot of these now Democratic voters are having. So I would say from that perspective, it actually is kind of genius because they're just riling up their base. And I'm not saying from an economic standpoint in the slightest, but from a, a purely trying to you know get some value built and some trust between you and your base, I think this is the approach that the Democrats are taking. But I guess, Brad, to your point, what would be now? I, I know you jokingly said the payroll ca- uh, tax cut across the board for 2021, which obviously would be a great option. But let's say, you know, let's look at this student loan crisis we see. What would be the free market response to say, OK, listen, we're agreeing college is too expensive, but here's the actual solution to the problem versus just, you know, having government wave its magic wand? 
Well, we can talk about solutions, but we also kind of have to put the actual quote unquote crisis in perspective, because when you hear 1.5 trillion in student debt, you imagine something different than what the actual reality is. So you imagine people who can't afford their, their working day and night just to send checks to the student loan office. In reality, the median student loan payment per month is 200 to $300. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that's nothing. I'm not sitting here saying that's like, I'm not, I don't want to sound like some elitist jerk. Like that's a lot of money. I mean, it, it's a significant amount of funds, but if you're a college graduate and you can't pay that, we need to talk about why you went to college. What did you study? Uh, what went wrong? Because there's something seriously wrong there beyond the mere expense. Um, and and I, would, I would wager to offer that most people who struggle to make those payments are probably not finance majors or STEM majors or business majors. They're by and large probably, and, and there, there's actually statistics to back this up, the people most likely to be underemployed with a college degree are people who have like philosophy degrees or fine arts degrees. But I, you know, and I'm not dumping on those majors, but I, I am dumping on the way the federal government has created a scenario in which unproductive, like net negative investments are still happening. So we have to go back to the root of this cause. The root of this cause is that decades ago, the federal government decided to start giving out student loans just willy nilly with basically no qualifications. Doesn't matter what your credit score is, what your plan is, what you're going to study, where you're going to study, what your major will be, what career interests you have, basically like a blank check. So this had two effects. One, so when you when you try to get a loan from a private bank, they're doing an ROI investment speculation on you, right? They're saying, is this person, wh- what are they studying? What job are they going to have? What's the expected salary? They won't always get it right, but they're going to get it right more times than not, or they won't stay in business. So when, when it's private loaning, it's productive investments that happen in the college higher education system. But the government decided to just give loans to everyone. And so that had two main effects. One is that it it set up a lot of people to make decisions they never would have been incentivized to make in a free market that have put them in unprofitable, unproductive, net unproductive situations. And two, it also just artificially inflated the cost of college. I mean, research shows that for every dollar the feds gave out in loans, schools just hacked, just jacked up tuition rates, 60, 70 cents uh, and, and so it was really a self-defeating battle. They created this big tuition spike um, by just imagine any good, right? Where you artificially inflate demand. A lot of that's going to be captured by the seller. So, I mean, if if all of a sudden the government gave people uh, checks that could only be used for Coca-Cola, right? I mean, they could raise the price of Coca-Cola and people would still kind of have to buy it because right. their money could only be used for that. Um, so that's maybe a crude example, but I think you get the point. So to address this crisis, we, we have to go back to those root causes and reevaluate them. Um, because in the long term, if you canceled all student debt tomorrow and you made the taxpayers pay it off, sorry, I shouldn't say the word cancel. Um, but yet you left all of these underlying problems in, in place. 10 years from now, we'd have another 1.5 trillion and they'd be say, cancel it. It's like, so this is not sustainable. Right. And and one thing as you were you were speaking there, my my brain started to kind of go in this this little tangent I had, and it's like wow, when you really think about it, not only is government helping increase the cost of of education, but they're also helping 
really prop up areas in our, our true market economy for, for jobs that probably wouldn't exist otherwise because now they're just creating this false you know group of people from which to, to choose from. And I would say in turn, that actually might have a negative consequence for for jobs that like we actually need. So like in a truly free market system where you know kids are going to college based on what the market is demanding. I mean, goodness, look at right now. We would see, I would dare say, a better, more prepared health uh, health uh, sector just because you know, I, I would guess there'd be more demand to have more people in that sector versus to your point, your fine arts degrees, which to your, again to your point, that's not to say it's a bad thing that you get your degree in philosophy or or in gender studies. But to understand the role and the value that that brings to the the real marketplace, and and we are missing that, I think, and we're starting to see right now, as you see, you know, still hundreds of thousands of people filing for unemployment every single week. A lot of those people, I would, I'm, I'm guessing, right? I would say they are likely college grads who have a degree that they just cannot find a a quote unquote real job in the marketplace for that degree. And they're stuck doing jobs like serving tables or bartending, which to say is that's not a bad thing that that's your job. But if you went to school for, you know, to be a gender studies, uh, you know, professional, I'm sorry. Right now, people are cutting across the board wherever they can just to make the, the budgets work. And I'm sorry, that might not be a priority this year at our company to have a gender studies, you know, approach to, to, you know, whatever it may be. So I'm sorry, you're just not the priority in order to make the company float. So I would say the, the long-term consequences of not only government helping prop up the, the college industry, but also the fact that now we are seeing there's a real human, I guess, cost because not only are we not having enough bodies there where we need them, but now you have more people who are unemployed. They're unable to actually bring value, sadly, to the economy in this case because of a global pandemic, number one. But number two, their actual education that they went to school for isn't really useful right now in a society that is looking to cut costs across the board. Yeah, and and this brings me actually – this brings up an interesting point. Um, that I've studied in economics, which is what the what is the most important difference, the most important aspect of capitalism? What is the biggest difference between a socialist society and a capitalist society? It's not actually the things you might think. Taxes are important. Government spending is important. But it's actually prices. Prices are the most vital aspect of a market economy because the reason a market works, the invisible hand right, of Adam Smith is actually talking about prices. It's actually talking about the way that impersonal price mechanisms can take the information that's known across millions of people and make everyone who doesn't actually know that information react to it as if they do because of the changing prices. What college, what, what the Fed's intervention into college has done is not eliminate the price aspect, but just alter and skew it to adverse results. Because right now, people do take income into mind when choosing their college major, right? There are, that's why more people choose accounting than philosophy, or why some people who might have preferred philosophy choose accounting. But that incentive is lessened because they're not required to take that into account with their actual purchasing ability through the loans. The loans just treat any college education equally, um, and they're just a blank check. Whereas private banks would absolutely, I think, in a free market, say, you got to show us a a reasonable estimation that you're going to get a job, that you're going to make enough to pay this back. 
Um, the feds don't do that. And so they really distort the price mechanism that's supposed to sort people into, and it's not just about money or greed. It's about actual need. Why are doctors paid more? Because we have a shortage of doctors, right? Why, why are um, accountants and business people paid more? It's because there's more demand for them in our society. It's not just about greed and money, right? It's about the, the government intervention and the price mechanism actually distorts the ability to, to allocate people to where they're needed most in our society that we would have in a free market. So the underlying roots of the student loan crisis are fundamentally caused by big government. So that's part of the reason that I cannot understand the fact that people think more big government is the solution. So let's look at the problem right now as it is, right? It's actually funny. Uh, my, my wife and I were watching The Crown last night, and uh, we were watching the episode where the, uh, the guy breaks in to the, uh, the, the palace, and he like goes in and talks to the queen, and there's one um, part they're talking about a moral economy. And the idea of this moral economy, the, the government, the sense of collective unity, watching out for each other, your, your you know, compassion for your fellow man, right? And then it, you look at applying that to today, right now, I'd say with your average person who is straddled with student loan debt, they're like, okay, well, I get that maybe I shouldn't have been allowed to get this massive loan. I get that the, the loan, you know, I do have to pay it back, but what do I do now? What, what is, I guess, the answer while we have to face this moral economy argument, what's the free market answer to the people who are struggling now to make ends meet? How can we help solve those problems uh, and actually speak to them? And I would say, Brad, this would help us establish some level of trust if we can actually show our solutions will work. Yeah, I mean, it is important to to offer up some solution. I don't know that it will be purist free market exactly, but I don't understand why student loans aren't dischargeable through bankruptcy. I mean, if you have a mortgage or you have credit card debt, you do have that bankruptcy avenue where student loans literally follow you to the grave. I'm just not sure why. I, I don't know there's any justification for that. And I'm open to the discussion over changing that. Um, and that would help some people who really can't pay their loans just go through the bankruptcy process. Like, like we don't have a, well, we have a problem, but no one says we have a credit card debt crisis, right? And, and that's one reason that those issues are different. Uh, and that's one thing we could consider um, changing. The other thing, too, is like if you want to do some student debt relief, at least at the very least, target it to people who actually can't pay their loans. Right. Like like canceling student debt would just take a lot of people who are working and well-educated liberals living in Boston, making a lot of money. And they have this debt. A lot of doctors and lawyers have a lot of undergrad debt. And it would just make the taxpayer pay it off. At the very, very least, if you're a progressive, you should support targeting the aid so it's only to people who really can't pay their loans. And that would just be such a smaller and more narrow program. Um, but that's not what it's about. Ultimately, I think it's more about political uh, just rewarding your base. And that's how big government always goes, Brian. I mean, it's it's naive for people to think that the people who staff the government and become politicians are any less self-interested or self-motivated than the people who work in business. But the difference is that in the business sector, the profit motive drives you towards efficiency uh, with rare exceptions, but right as a general rule. Uh, and in government, the, the, the profit motive or the self-interest motive drives you towards cronyism. And that's what a student loan bailout is. 
at the end of the day, it's political favoritism for the Democratic Party's increasingly well-educated, white, and wealthy base. It goes back to what we were just saying. If that's exactly who they're selling to. And, and I get it, right? I, I mean, whenever I'm talking about what the LP should be doing, I'm like, talk about the lockdowns. Talk about the economic consequences of the lockdowns. And that is the thing that our base, and I would say our base as a big L party, libertarian party, should be people who that is their issue, right? And if they are, if they're gravitating towards that message, I know that they are willing to hear us out from other perspectives because as long as they're seeing the value in allowing you to, I I don't know, bypass the the moniker essential versus non-essential worker and just know that any job that's out there is an essential job to that person and the person that they're providing the service or product to, like at the end of the day, that's how it's supposed to work and those people get it. And that's why there's such resentment right now towards a lot of these mayors and governors because there hasn't been really anybody to like openly say exactly what it is that these people are saying. And it is stop. Stop with these arbitrary decision-making processes of deciding who's essential, who's not. Stop locking down businesses, allowing you know companies that have been around for generations to crumble overnight. And, and then, to your point, how can they in one breath say that they're not going to help support these people, but then we're going to give trillions of dollars in student loan relief to, to folks across the, the, the United States who by and large, are the top 20% of Americans, it doesn't make sense, Brad. And I mean, again, that's why we need folks like you out there. You, and you're like the decoder ring, right? And as I've, I've started to read more and more of the work you've been doing over the past few years, you, you literally have become my decoder ring. Because if I'm talking to somebody and I'm trying to take an idea that is a tough economic concept and to be able to break it down in a way that's easy to understand, I say, go check out Brad's stuff because honestly, Brad, that's, we need more folks like you and you've been doing it so well because your average person, they hear about economics and like it, you just see the, the glaze goes over their eyes and they just shut down because they're like, okay, you're talking about numbers and figures and I don't care. Like talk to me, talk to me about my issues and how it's going to, you know, impact my life. And once we're able to actually talk to the people about about these issues in a way that applies to them, that's when it starts to make sense. So, candidly, Brad, that's why I've been pointing a lot of folks over to uh, the work you've been doing at Fee, and, and and not only there, but National Review, Washington Examiner, and also your amazing new podcast, as we mentioned, Breaking Boundaries. So, uh, with that being said, we are, unfortunately, over uh, already at the time, we're at half an hour. So, Brad, I wanted to give you the uh, the floor here as we wrap up. Some things folks can look forward to, I guess, in a positive sense, uh, as we wrap up 2020 from maybe a Biden presidency. I know it's going to be tough, but something positive, something that we can, as as maybe libertarians, learn from and, and do better in trying to promote our message. And then I would say, hey, you always talk about something that you know is, is a weird food. What's the weird food? Not that you don't like, but the weird food that you really do like. Let's uh, let's uh, go through those three. Oh, cool. So I think for the upside, for the um, – I agree with what you said about lockdowns very much. Uh, we, that The libertarian crowd should not cede the messaging on that to MAGA Republicans, right? There needs to be an alternative other than Trump people who are making the case against overzealous COVID crackdowns, especially in light of the galling political hypocrisy from so many of these figures. So that's something I think that we've hammered out on fee and I would like to see more people in the liberty movement hammer on um, for sure. But in terms of what what's coming with the Biden-Harris administration, I think the upside is that all of a sudden, I, Republicans and Fox News are going to start caring about fiscal conservatism again. So I think 
This time, though, we have to approach it. I kind of like the idea of a Tea Party 2.0, but we can't do it naively. This time we have to know it's temporary. And so what my plan is to do is to exploit the renewed interest in liberty ideas that is partisan and, and, and temporary on the part of the Republican establishment, but exploit it to reach more people and then make sure that I can keep reaching those people after everyone else switches back. Yep. Because I care about these things for the long haul. Fox News maybe only cares about them when Biden is president, but all the people I can reach maybe by going on over the next few years and build up a, a brand and an audience, I want to keep those people and keep whispering sweet liberty nothings to them in their ear, even after they've moved on to, to liking big government again because the Republicans elected. Um, and then for my food take, I really have so many actually that, that I'm not sure uh, just what comes to mind. One, I really, I like skim milk the best. Really? Um, it's like drinking like, yeah. like uh, milky water. It's just one of those things where if you grow up drinking skim, you, whole is gross to you. Um, I guess I get that. So my, I, my, candidly, my family were, were dairy farmers for, for generations. So like, I'm, I'm used to it if I'm going to be real with you. Yeah. And then I like steak well done with ketchup. Oh, come on, man. Well done steak. Isn't that like eating leather? Yeah, but it tastes crispy. Crispy leather. That's a good part. Crispy yeah. leather with ketchup. And then you dip it in the ketchup and then it tastes good. God bless you, Brad. All right. Well, listen, how about this? We'll, we'll leave it there because I want to make sure folks still have a reason to go ahead and check you out besides your awesome food takes. Brad Palumbo, Breaking Boundaries, Fee, Washington Examiner, National Review. Where else can folks go ahead and follow you and stay up to date with all the great work you're doing? Well, you pretty much just hit it all, but it's Brad underscore Palumbo, P-O-L-U-M-B-O on Twitter. And if you head over there, you'll see all the links in the pinned tweet to subscribe to the podcast, which people should also do. And you can also just do it by searching Breaking Boundaries on Spotify or Apple. Uh, So thanks again for having me on, man. Always, always a blast, Brad. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Best to yours and your family for sure. You too. A quick read from our new sponsor, and that is the Expat Money Show. Now, if you are a longtime listener or even a relatively new listener here on the Brian Nichols Show, then you remember our good friend Mikkel Thorup from the Expat Money Show. What an episode. To learn that just because you were born in one country doesn't mean that you have to pay your taxes there forever to do your banking there, or to have your investments there, raise your family there, or even have your companies register there, learn there, get your kids educated there or even live your life there. How about that? You can go ahead and live your life wherever it is you see fit, because the Expat Money Show, which is hosted by our friend Mikhail Thorup, originally started as a podcast, but has grown to a worldwide community of entrepreneurs who are living international location, independent lifestyles. Mikhail is focused on helping you live an international life by looking at problems through the lens of global solutions. In this day and age, there is no reason you should let borders get in the way of having the best the world has to offer. So, Brian Nichols Show audience, head over to the Expat Money Show today. Give Mikhail a subscribe, a fantastic show, and tell him that Brian Nichols sent you. You know what's great? I, I actually I, I say this now after the episode. I got to see Brad in person. I completely forgot to mention this in the intro. Brad, uh, he, so Brad's out in D.C. And I actually, now I can say this because we've officially recorded. I had the great fortune, folks, of being on uh, the amazing Matt Kibbe's 
Kibbe on Liberty program on the Blaze Network to talk about, yes, how we sell liberty. Guys, I was so ecstatic, and it's something I've been wanting to tell you guys for a little bit, but I had to keep uh, behind the scenes until we officially got it uh, recorded. So, yes, official Brian Nichols on the Matt Kibbe, Kibbe on Liberty podcast. I uh, cannot wait for you guys to hear that episode. But that being said, though, I, I, I was saying I got the chance to see Brad in person uh, in real life, IRL as the kids say. And uh, no, Brad is easily one of the rising up and coming stars. Heck, I'd say he's he's already there in many cases uh, in the greater conservatarian movement. And, and Brad is exactly leading the charge and showing how to actually get liberty into action, much like some of the folks we've had in the show, Hannah Cox, Cliff Maloney, more folks like that, Kenny Cody, please, please support folks like Brad, supporting Brad's amazing podcast, Breaking Boundaries, but also supporting and sharing the work that folks like Brad are going out, they're putting in the hard work, they're giving us the content and the information that we can leverage when we're going out and having these conversations with folks who do not necessarily agree with us uh, from the onset. So, uh, Brad, it was great to see him in person, and as always, great to have him here on The Brian Nichols Show. Uh, and guys, yes, uh, like I mentioned, we we did have an amazing time there in Washington, D.C., getting able to uh, sit down with the great Matt Kibbe. Don't hurt people and don't take people's stuff. If you have not read that book, amazing book yet, please go ahead and check that out. One of Matt Kibbe's originals and a fantastic read at that. And uh, I mentioned that that was uh, coming up here in the next few weeks. When I was down in D.C., I had the chance... Also, I'm interviewing someone who's going to be on the Brian Nichols Show for next week's show. So, coming up here on Monday, I am joined by family friend Janessa Fenton. Now, Janessa joins the show as someone who's coming more from the independent-leaning left. And uh, she actually, you know, she is not uh, someone who I would say is a leftist by any stretch of the imagination, but somebody who genuinely is looking for solutions out there in the world to deal with the problems that we are currently facing. So, with that being said, Janessa and I have a very fun, civil, engaging conversation, and I think it's a great example of how folks who don't necessarily agree can have conversations and able to find some common uh, common ground. So that was a great conversation with Janessa. I hinted at it. Uh, I had a conversation in person, uh, and that was with Cindy Circatella from the former America's Future Foundation, now America's Future, an amazing organization that yours truly was a chapter leader here in Philadelphia for a number of years. And what is America's Future? It really is the, the absolutely best networking an informational organization that I have ever been a part of, but honestly, it's a great resource for folks who are looking to get involved in their local communities and actually get liberty into action, talking about local issues that are concerning to those respective communities. So Cindy joins to discuss the brand new America's future, brand new rebranding, and a lot of awesome, exciting things happening there, and awesome to see Cindy in person. And then coming up here on Friday, I am joined by Professor Jim Moran from Brown University discussing his brand new book, Republic of Wrath, and really discussing where uh, the traditional Republican and Democratic parties have lost their way. They are losing their traditional voting bases, and we're seeing a big shift in in voting demographics. So with that, uh, Professor uh, Marone joins the show to really dig into that, but also touching on his book. And my goodness, what a conversation. I I found out on the show that he uh, was the professor for Andrew Yang, his political science professor at Brown University. Um, We were discussing modern, uh, not modern, I'm sorry, it was a universal basic income. And he says, yes, that silly idea that my student had. (laughs) I was 
your student? He goes, yes, Andrew Yang, uh, who attended his uh, political science class back at Brown University. So it's a cool conversation uh, with Professor Marone. So uh, yes, make sure you guys are hitting subscribe over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your episodes of The Brian Nichols Show. Make sure you hit subscribe so you're not missing a single episode and you're getting all three amazing Brian Nichols Show podcast per week. Now, guys, heading uh, forward, if you want to make sure that you are, are engaging with me on social media, tag me right at B Nichols Liberty. Twitter, Facebook, Minds.com, and Parlor.com at B Nichols Liberty. And please do me a favor and continue to support our amazing, awesome sponsors, Ebels.com. We have phenomenal sponsor for CBD. I cannot recommend their topical freeze gel enough. And an amazing sponsor in the Expat Money Show. And guys, exciting stuff. We have some more new sponsors joining us here on the Brian Nichols Show, Mudwater, uh, and a bunch of other great, phenomenal podcasts coming up here as uh, sponsors as well, including, I don't know, maybe uh, one of our guests, Brad Palumbo. So, uh, guys, with that being said, thank you again for joining us on another fantastic, fun-filled week of the Brian Nichols Show. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here for Brad Palumbo. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.